Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast series brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, John Vodder, a research associate and an editor at the Institute. With me today is Amish Raj Mulmi, a Nepal analyst and the author of All Roads Lead North, Nepal's Turn to China. He is here to talk to us about prospective political and geopolitical changes ahead for Nepal in 2022, a country which, due to the increasing attention it has been receiving from major powers in the region and beyond, is becoming an increasingly important player in South Asia's emerging geostrategic theater. In this episode, he talks to us about the priorities of Nepal's relatively new coalition government, the upcoming National Assembly elections, and the potential for a reset in Nepal-India relations. Amish, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, John, for having me over. It's a pleasure. Happy New Year to all your listeners as well. Happy New Year to you and all of our listeners in Nepal. Um, and before I take us into the new year, um, I'd like to walk us back in time just slightly uh, to the last year, 2021. Um, Nepal has seen some major convulsions in its domestic politics recently, with KP Sharma Oli being forced to step down as Prime Minister of Nepal by Supreme Court order. This was followed by a new coalition led by Sher Bahadur Duba, the head of the Nepali Congress, coming into power. So what distinguishes the Duba government from the Oli government and how would you assess the Duba government's popularity heading into 2022? Uh, John, let me let me put it in the words of a recent newspaper headline uh, that was sort of, uh, uh, let's say, assessing his six months in office, Duba's six months in office. And the headline simply said, a government that is just as ineffective and ineffectual as Duba. So I think that says a lot about what how uh, Nepal or Nepalese analysts have been viewing the government. What distinguishes Deoba is his ability to hold together this disparate coalition, even if it means there's no progress on any of the issues. So we are into the third wave uh, of COVID right now, but vaccination rates remain low, our remittances have been declining, our economic prospects are not too bright with tourism again taking a big hit because of the wave. Uh, but Deoba, at the helm, being at the helm, he provides a sort of stability, a political stability that wasn't guaranteed on the Oli. So the question really is, as a recent, as an editor put it recently in his news, newsletter, at, would you rather have a prime minister who takes firm decisions, even if they might be dangerous, referring to Oli, or an ineffective one who does nothing at all? So that's the choice that Nepal has at this moment. Uh, Deoba, to me, he represents a political stability that doesn't evoke anything beyond that. Uh, Nepal is simply moving by. We have elections upcoming. So things are as they are. Uh, so as you say, they are, they're pretty much not doing uh, in anything in terms of prospects, right? So Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about the upcoming election, maybe as a reflection of what uh, Nepalis um, are looking for in their government. Um, the National Assembly elections are soon to be underway on 26 January, um, in which the ruling alliance um, under Duba um, are contesting jointly against the main opposition, the Communist Party of Nepal, Unified Marxist-Leninist. Um, and just this past month, uh, conventions for the major parties were also held. Um, so observing the outcomes of the conventions and the party's preparations for these upcoming elections, um, are there any significant 
political trends or changes for the new year that you would perhaps like to spotlight? See, the first, I would say, the first observation would be that the ruling coalition at present will not like in all likelihood go into elections as a coalition as well it would not be an electoral coalition for sure so with having said that the question right now that's uh, being uh, asked of political leaders is when are the elections to the local government structures going to happen and those have been scheduled for may uh, the, what the schedule sort of follows that we'll have local government elections first then the provincial and federal elections together the local election results will pretty much determine how each party approaches the elections, the larger elections as well. The dates for the local elections, which have been originally scheduled for May, haven't yet been determined. Some parties wanted to be held along with provincial elections later in the year, but Oli's party would prefer local elections on schedule. So there is a bit of a, let's say, a political sort of a uh, to and fro happening over there. The trends that I see at this moment that will sort of dominate in the year to come is the first would be the old guard remains at the helm in all three major parties post the conventions despite facing challenges from upstarts some of whom have been accommodated in the party structure to placate them so there's little change in the status quo of the parties as one sees it at least the three major parties the second trend that i see is that nationalism will continue to drive ideology and voter acceptance especially against the backdrop of new Nepal's new political map vis-a-vis -vis India, the MCC, and Oli's own personality. The third trend, as I see it, is that Hindu nationalism will come to play a role, or at least, if not major, a significant role, whether to cultivate voters or to remind them that the secular republic has not been satisfactory. The larger issue here is that there is significant discontent brewing across issues, political, social, economic, and one expects that these will play a role in voting patterns in elections. But one doubts whether these issues, including the economic downturn as a result of the pandemic and growing out-migration, will be addressed either in the manifestos or the results of the elections themselves. My sense is that as the status quo, sort of uh, the old guard continues to sort of drive, let's say, party politics and party ideologies, they will sort of try to capture voter acceptance along these lines, right? And we can uh, maybe come back to this question of um, the role of, of nationalism um, in capturing votes in one of the questions later. Uh, but for now, perhaps we could shift from domestic politics to geopolitics. One policy which Prime Minister Duba um, has been prioritizing is ratifying the U.S. Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact in Parliament, um, which has been marooned there for some time. Given prevailing great power uh, politics between the U.S. and China um, and domestic gridlock around the benefits and obligations of the MCC grant for Nepal, what are the chances that it will be ratified this year? And what could the effects be either way? Uh, see, John, I think to ratify the MCC within this session of parliament, the upcoming session of parliament, the party leadership will have to counter formidable opposition within their own parties. Uh, there has been a lot of disinformation and propaganda against the MCC, uh, which has also resulted in widespread opposition. Uh, one example I'll give you is that last month, I believe early December, I was just walking around Kathmandu at one protest. I saw I saw a protest against the MCC where uh, the protesters were actually suggesting that 
ratifying the MCC will take away Nepal's water, take away our livelihood and our local natural resources. And the, the sort of connections that are being made against the MCC, the accusations, have veered into propaganda territory. So that is obviously made ratifying itself a difficult choice, right? China will certainly not be that if it if the MCC gets ratified, that is for sure. Uh, there are enough suggestions from Chinese scholars and the Chinese media to suggest that MCC is not in Nepal's favor from Beijing's perspective. And if you ratify the MCC before the elections, it will mean that it will become an electoral issue in any case. Even if it does not get ratified, MCC will continue to drive the propaganda and discourse during the elections. Either way, I see it as becoming a prominent issue this year, especially since the US has been emphasizing it cannot wait for ratification indefinitely. So it is a difficult choice that Nepal faces or Nepal's leaders faces, especially since they've been they've backed themselves into a corner with the propaganda against the MCC. So that's where we are. Hmm. And veering now away from the US uh, to some of Nepal's relationships closer to home, uh, we had a, a bookshelf program with you not too long ago where we discussed your book, All Roads Lead North. So where the book examines um, many Nepalese favorable attitudes towards China, um, you also speak there about some emerging unhappiness amongst Nepali traders regarding some of the stricter border controls um, in the north by China during the pandemic. And my understanding is that some of these border controls have continued. Simultaneously, there has been a growing recognition in India for the need of a reset in its relations with Nepal and to focus on some of Nepal's core concerns. A visit by Duba or Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi to one another's countries is possibly in the card sometime soon. What is the likelihood of a meaningful reset um, in relations this year in India-Nepal relations? Uh very little actually especially since i mean uh, the the new the, the controversy over kalapani has uh, risen again india has been pushing ahead with its road to lipu lake and the said dialogue and has already said that any dialogue between the two countries will only take place through existing channels nepali leaders have insisted that india must stop this road construction remove its army from the contentious territory and discuss the border dispute because the kalapani is its territory alone so there's a stalemate. There's no resolution in sight. And it seems that it will become, it, uh, the Kalapani issue has become a permanent irritant in bilateral relations. The paradoxical situation here is that the status quo suits India, no doubt, in terms of possession. But even Nepali leaders have begun to derive political mileage out of the dispute by appealing to nationalist interests. Having said that, the focus on the Kalapani, Kalapani border alone will hurt Nepal's ambitions for greater economic connectivity, especially since the Kathmandu Rexall Railway is seeing greater traction than the Kathmandu Tibet Railway plans. So it is up to Nepal, in a sense, to take a call on its priorities within the bilateral relationship with India in the years ahead. Now, with respect to China, both the issues generated by the pandemic, uh, the closure of borders, the slow progress in infra, these have been visible. Development aid projects and the change in government is also uh, has seen there's a subtle slow slowdown in ties and China has preferred a communist government here in Nepal. So there has been a subtle freeze of ties. China has also insisted there are no border outstanding border issues with Nepal. But Nepal's home ministry has recently directed its foreign ministry to take up border issues regarding construction of fences and border pillars with China. 
But the fact is, Nepal's position has already been weakened because the prior government actually stated there is no border dispute with China. So these are these are some of the issues outlying, let's say, foreign uh, relations issues that Nepal immediately faces in the short run in 2022. Uh, the Kalapani issue is obviously more, let's say, uh, more emotive simply because of the special relationship between India and Nepal, and as well as the sort of uh, emotions that India generates in Nepal with China. Because there's been, a, let's say, uh, with Deoba government, China has sort of signaled that, all right, we want to take ties ahead, but it's obviously uh, not as, let's say, moved as it was with the Oli government. We will, my sense is that the, any progressive infrastructure, any, uh, there will be a little bit of slowdown, although we will, we do expect a new international airport built by China Camp C to be uh, come into operation this year. So that's about it for now. Well, Amish, thank you so much for joining us for South Asia Chat and providing us with uh, this roadmap for Nepal into the future. Um, for those listeners out there, I would encourage you to check out my conversation with Amish on his book, um, All Roads Lead North, Nepal's Turn to China, and also some of our other products at ISAS, including our publications, podcast chats, and other videos on the bookshelf. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.